and welcome to Series 3 of the Female Athlete Podcast. We're dedicated to opening up the conversation around female physiology and women's health around sport and exercise. We have some really exciting interviews lined up for you in Series 3, so join us as we open up the conversation. We're delighted to welcome on board Umi Health as our title sponsors for Series 3. Umi-health.com is your go-to one-stop hub for all things pelvic health. Umi are empowering, educating and uplifting women through their evidence-based and easily digestible online courses, e-books, interactive webinars and blogs. Arm yourself with the knowledge you deserve to understand your body better and exercise in a way that is mindful of your long-term pelvic health and all for less than the price of a smoothie. Come join the revolution at umi-health.com. That's umi-health.com. So today we are going to be speaking with Dawn Scott. Dawn is now the head of performance at the English FA, but I've actually been working with Dawn for the last few years now, um, formerly when she was working with the US Women's National Team, so the US football team. In the build-up to the World Cup uh, in 2019 now, and it was in France, um, we started working together, it must have been about two months, maybe three months before. Yeah, I think it was three months before. And um, we initially did a big survey with all of the players to really try and understand what their menstrual cycle profiles were like. We really focused in on the World Cup team and we did these questionnaires to find out what their symptoms were like. Do they have a history of heavy bleeding? How badly is their menstrual cycle affecting them? Is it affecting them at all? Obviously, we want to see this as and frame it positively, but we wanted to try and understand initially what symptoms were were they experiencing in that may be affecting their everyday life, their recovery, their sleep, etc. And um, once we did that, we were able to then put together a sort of prediction component so we could know at different phases of their cycle what they may be susceptible to so whether that was feeling like it took them a little bit longer to recover or whether it was um, that their sleep was disturbed or maybe they actually had vomiting or maybe they had really bad headaches or maybe they had really bad cramps or lower back pain so um, we were effectively able to create like a footprint a typical footprint bearing in mind that cycles can change from cycle to cycle but everyone is so individual here um, we then used um, the app that they were actually using to track when their cycles were falling um, to come up with predictions. So we had a whole kind of prediction plan for the six weeks around the World Cup. In hindsight, I think there's so many more things we could have done, but really this was kind of the start of this journey, which now I'm on, Dawn's on, we're all on, which is, yeah, it was it was amazing. So I'm really excited to talk to her more about that and just learn more about why she feels this is an important area and something that she's decided to focus in on. So today we are really excited to have Dawn Scott on our podcast. Dawn is a um, female athlete whiz. She has been working in um, the elite female athlete space for nearly 20 years now. Um, She has an absolutely fascinating background, which we're going to hear more about. Um, She is now physical performance manager at the FA, um, having started that job just over a year ago now. Um, She came to the FA having 
having won an Olympic medal with the US Women's National Team um, and two World Cup medals as well. Um, alongside being a sports scientist, Dawn it also has a strong academic background, which again, and um, we're going to delve more into deeper later. So welcome to the podcast, Dawn. Dawn, you became sort of the first sports scientist, if you like, in, in women's football. Um, what did the in- role initially involve back when you were first at the FA? And then how, how has it evolved since working with the US women's team and, and now back to your role with the FA again? Yeah, I mean, I think again at that time, like I think, remember, like this is 20 plus years ago. So sports science generally was new anyway in terms of any sport and football and everything like that. So I think that was one thing. And then, you know, I remember my first training session with a team and you're like, what's your role? Like they'd also employed like a new physio and um, the doctor was relatively new. But like, you know, there's a role for a physio and there's a role for a doctor. Like they're just kind of they're almost like you have to have those roles. And, you know, the, there's a clear role. Whereas I remember the first couple of training sessions on that first camp, I was like, what am I supposed to be doing? Like there was no roles and responsibilities. There was no like outline of this is what you do at train or anything like that. So, you know, you watch for a couple of days and then it's like the coach asks your thoughts and you're like, well, you know, I could take the warm up and, you know, I could do the cool down and then I could monitor training and we could look at heart rates and we could do this. And then, you know, other players hydrated. Well, what are we giving them to drink? And I think you then started to grow. Well, how can you support the players? And, Again, that time the players would work full time and then train on top of it. And, you know, where their clubs would be trained a couple of times a week. So I think it was a case of actually learning myself what is the role, what is applied sports science. So that was first and foremost. And then looking at the group we had at that moment in time and where are they now? Where do we need to get to on the world stage and how do we get there? And and technology, like the growth of technology is, is, you know, I've kind of evolved with that where, Back then it was heart rates. It was the team two polar system was what we had. And you didn't have the GPS. You didn't have the external loads. You had the internal. And then we bought the players heart rate watchers. Players used to call it their personal trainer because, you know, you look at it and you know your zones and you know how hard you've worked. Um, so then you kind of evolved that way. And, you know, then you fitness testing the players. So then they're pushing on and the levels are going up. And how can you get them to the next stage? And you know, then also Hope Powell, who was the, the head manager, the coach there, like she fought to get centralised contracts. So then you could reduce how much players are working and now actually push them even more in their training. So then we made even more gains. And, you know, again, then when I went, I remember like last year, I think before I went to the US, like the first generation of, of GPS system came out and it was probably double the size they are now. And um, I think it was one hertz and, you know, like that, that then was where you're like, you're sceptical, aren't you? Because you've got your systems and processes in place and it's like, well, what's this going to do? And so like I was sceptical and then 2012 with the US bought our own GPS system and then you start looking at the external and internal um, and and kind of like marry them together. And, you know, I think education is another key part of of coaches, of practitioners, of, of players in terms of, you know, if they know the why, you're potentially going to get, better buy-in you know from the players from the staff from any of them so um and then you start looking at you know like training can you now look at you know what are the match demands for a player what the physical match demands then okay where are they at fitness wise training status physical capability where do they need to improve how do we get them there and then what's all the supplementary things so what's their nutrition what's their hydration and 
you know, then more recently their, their menstrual cycle, female health considerations, you know, for me, it's almost like output is, is their training load plus recovery plus menstrual cycle kind of strategy plan equals, you know, kind of their output, that output potential, if you like. So I think it's, I think some of it is you evolve with the technology, but also you have to have a system process, like don't just keep adding on, otherwise you're going to lose the brilliant basics. And then I think the other piece is individualized for players, like not everybody needs the same plan, whether it is training, whether it's nutrition, whether it's mental cycle plan. So what's the individual strategy for each player? And then the education piece, and you know, you almost go in in cycles for that. Like if you've got your more experienced senior players like, you know, Abby Wombach, Christy Rampone, Megan Rapino need very different to a Rose Lavelle or a younger player who, you know, Haran, Lindsay Haran, you know, with England, Lauren Hemp, who are very new to the system and don't have that education background. You almost then start again with that education and, you know, then you kind of push them up and as technology advances, what else do you bring in? What else do you use? Or do you at least get your basics in, then add on the kind of bits on the top? that's so that's so sort of revealing as the extensive amount of work that goes in you know to any one individual performance and optimizing that performance obviously if we just sort of uh, hone in a little bit on like the menstrual cycle you alluded to that's obviously now a bit more of a key area where you you focus in on so if you were you know presented with athlete a what are the kind of things that you look around that menstrual cycle in order to then optimize their performance yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's education and awareness. So I think, you know, with any, you know, before we even brought it in with the players, it was actually educating, like say with England, educating Phil Neville and, and Sue Campbell, you know, head of kind of the women's programme to get them on board to understand the why. Um, so I think that's first and foremost. And then even before you do any intervention with a player, you're educating them in terms of the menstrual cycle, the regular cycle and you know, everything that goes into it. And even, you know, in the US when with Georgie's help, like myself and, and Julian Haig, who's a sports scientist for the NWSL in the US, like we first delivered education sessions in March 2019. And, you know, we traveled to nine different teams and he did some and I did the others. And, you know, when he went in to deliver some of them, he was nervous because he's a man delivering what is, you know, relatively quite a... um it can be a difficult subject to deliver, especially when it's not really been highlighted before. But then as he got more comfortable and understood it more, like he felt more comfortable. But even when I was presenting, like, yeah, first and foremost, because it's not my speciality, you're like, okay, you need to make sure you've got everything correct. And, you know, you kind of fact checking everything. And, but even then, like some of the players would put their hoods up and like slide down the seats. Cause they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe she's talking about periods. Um, <laughs> But then as you talk through and like you mention, you know, I don't know what it could be, menstrual cramps or mood state or something like that. And you mention things that they or that sleep, you know, do you have disrupted sleep in the couple of days before you bleed? And suddenly they're like, oh, my God, is that why? And oh, and actually to improve it, you just improve like sleep hygiene, which actually I should be doing as an elite athlete anyway. So I think it's like you delve into the the education then what is actually happening for that individual player? It's not one size fits all. And then it's like, right, okay, this is it for the player, right? You know, what, like track it, monitor it. Because if you don't track monitoring, you're kind of guessing when your last cycle was, what symptoms you've got. So now let's track monitor. And then actually let's try and reduce any symptoms that you are having. 
you know, ultimately all we're trying to do is accelerate recovery, increase performance and, you know, obviously normalize the interaction of the hormones. So I think it's very much the education and then the very much individual approach. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. And that's something we advocate for on, on this podcast. Like we talk about so many different avenues, but our take home message all the time is that everybody is so unique and that applies right the way from the elite to, you know, just anyone who has a menstrual cycle, as it were. Yeah, so, so Dawn, a big part of our passion at the Female Athlete Podcast, and also I know our probably mutual passion as well, is to create opportunities for girls and women and empower as many people as possible, including practitioners, to really understand all aspects of female physiology. Um, how do you see the world changing with this in mind? And and how are you helping to change that? What do you think? Um, yeah, what do you think is changing and how you're involved with driving this momentum? I think it's a collective and I think uh, I think some of it is simply awareness and talking about it. I think there's been, you know, too long a, a, in terms of um, like people either being embarrassed to talk about it or like, oh my God, we're like, we can't talk about periods or, you know, just that there isn't any research out there. And then in... Uh, November, December 2018, it was, um, I remember there was two or three players in the squad we had at the time. And again, this was a bit subjective, but I was noticing that one was sleep, one was fatigue, and one was this ongoing muscle tissue injury or muscle tissue issue. They kept like flagging something up like two or three days before they then put in this new cycle. And I was like, that's like every time. And then you go back and look and it was this pattern. And so then it was like, you know what, we're eight, nine months out from the world cup, you know, if, and you know, there was this one player who was having these repetitive muscle strains and it was flagging up and it was the same. And that was one thing that triggered to actually take it another step and then spoke to coach about it, Jalelis. And she was like, as long as the players don't think it's just related to injuries or ACL injuries, I don't want the players freaking out about injuries. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. So then we built out this plan of how to do it. And it was the education first of of the um, NWSL teams because our US players would be at those NWSL teams. And then we had the players do, you know, kind of the, the, the consult, the monitoring. And then, you know, we kind of did... I'd say, and, and Georgie, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we did a very brief kind of intervention and we more did like general strategies and, and kind of education. And like even at the World Cup, like we had some education up that if they were about to get in the lift to go on a meal, it basically just had buckets. Like if you phase one, two, three, four, yeah. these are the things you should look at and the players would know which phase they were in. So then at least, you know, you're going down to a meal, phase four, like to get me anti-inflammatory, antioxidants, get ginger, get you know, get um, berries and stuff in. So, you know, they would then attack it that way. Or, you know, there was those three players plus a few others who, okay, in phase four need to kind of make sure we're monitoring their sleep or their recovery. And, you know, again, George, I think you did a great job there where you would just message me oh, if there were certain so times. On. It was like live action. Like, <laughs> this person's come on her period. Yeah. Quick, what do we do? <laughs> or even... But, reactive, which now, now yeah. I think is more proactive. But yeah, yeah. 
But even our chef we had out there, and it was quite funny because I was I messaged him the other day because he posted something. Our chef was amazing. He posted something on uh, Instagram, some food, and I just sent I just sent a message to him saying, "Do you deliver to England?" Like he's obviously US based, <laughs> and uh, he replied back, and we exchanged a couple of messages, and um, he, he just kind of like said, "Thank you so much for the the experience. Like uh, it was amazing." And I just said, "Thank you. Like you were amazing." And He's like, uh, really enjoy working with you. And I just sent a message back because um, we get him to make these anti-inflammatory antioxidant shots, which were potent with like ginger or whatever else we put in there. But like, I just remember every morning I get to breakfast and I'd be obsessed like, Taryn, where's the ginger shots? And he'd be like, we've run out because he'd just be like juicing all the time. <laughs> like we bought him a juicing machine. But it was those little bits. And, you know, because you had him on board and he knew especially around match days or players at certain phases to hit these key nutrients. Like, I think that's just that, that integrated kind of approach and support. And, and so with that in mind, do you feel that, and do you see, obviously in your sphere, you are changing the world. And, and I'm also mindful we're primary, primarily talking about football here, but on a larger scale, do you think perceptions are changing? Do you think the narrative is changing here? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a, um, a greater awareness and there's um I think because people are talking about it and when I say people there's you know there's kind of this podcast which I think has been amazing both as a education informational tool um but then I think when elite athletes starting to start to talk about it like I know you've had Karen Carney on here before and you know kind of recently Lucy Bronze did a podcast with uh Nadia Nadam from um uh, from Denmark so I think you know when there's when that's happening, I think then, you know, like if you're a young girl and you hear a Lucy Bronze or, you know, a Karen Carney speak about something like this, it would make you feel, I think, less embarrassed. And I think that's part of my drive. Like that play, that players or anybody, any female can talk about this just as much as they can talk about a warm up or a strength session or a cool down. Like it should just be after today for my menstrual cycle. I'm hitting this strategy because I know this helps me and this benefits me. So yeah, I think I think it has improved. I think there needs to be more. I think the other challenge we're going to have is on a global scale, like culture, you know, culture challenges in terms of, you know, some cultures who it's forbidden to talk about or it's forbidden to, you know, kind of be seen doing anything to kind of mitigate anything relating to this. So I think that's probably going to be a bigger challenge. But yeah, I think it. I think there's a greater awareness piece. I think there's a great. It's a greater conversation. I think people are. You know, again, we laughed about it, and I think Lucy said it recently on a, on an interview. Like, you know, Phil Neville was totally open to talking about it, but he's also got a 15, 16 year old daughter. So, you know, I'm sure he experiences some of that at home. Even our chef, like, um, with England, like his his wife has been really interested in some of what we're doing, and you know, she then uses the app, uh, the Fit Our Woman app, and, you know, kind of monitors herself a bit and even asks him, like, what do you do from a nutritional perspective? So I think that's the bigger thing because it's not just players, like it's practitioners, it's coaches. Like some of the the England staff said when they sat in the talk, like they've then kind of taken on board and implemented some of those strategies as well. So it's not just players who have who have symptoms or anything like that. It's the whole female population. Yeah, I agree. I, I through this podcast, I've started talking to my like my boyfriend's mother about 
periods and contraception and um, tampon adverts and <laughs> yeah wouldn't have happened before um so Dawn just um a kind of your role in a nutshell if there was people listening to the podcast who are big sports um people that that run a lot or play a lot of sports what would you say in terms of the sports science approach to really physically optimize their performance like the five things they should be hitting is it like the menstrual tracking with the nutrition recovery uh, how, how does it, how do you kind of package it all up in a in a in a way that you know encompasses the whole picture i think it's hard i think you've got to have a, a like if you're talking about their overall performance there's got to be a train and monitoring periodization piece in there so obviously something definitely related to that I definitely think then some kind of menstrual cycle like tracking awareness um kind of plan based on your own individual symptoms mm-hmm. um I then think some of the key things for recovery is sleep which again you kind of go should interact with menstrual cycle like you might track it and actually in one phase you might have more disrupted sleep then nutrition accessible to anyone as well yeah, yeah exactly yeah, yeah 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 and that's and I think that's the thing like in some of the work we've done over the last two or three years we've changed behaviors and some of that has been just around good sleep principles or good nutrition practices and actually when you then strip it away if I'm speaking selfishly about athletes like elite athletes should be having those behaviors anyway um So I think sleep, I think nutrition, hydration, if you want to kind of put that in the same bucket, again, you talk about recovery, nutrition is key. Again, like sleep, yeah, you can talk about better nutrition costs more money, but, you know, again, equally, like, you know, you should be following a good nutrition plan in terms of the the, um, macro and micronutrients in terms of what you're having. Um, And then I think the other one, uh, do you look general recovery? Do you look at the mental kind of recovery? I think a lot of the times we we um, ignore that space and actually, you know, I'm guilty of it where for years you just talk about the physical recovery, mm. but actually again, from the menstrual cycle monitoring where you're either seeing changes in mood state and or, you know, anxiety at different stages, especially sometimes related to performance. I think the mental mental kind of well-being, um, you know, kind of recovery is important as well. And that's one thing we're looking to do is almost integrate a full recovery um, kind of program that has the the kind of medical um, physical kind of mental strategies embedded in them and I think that's actually so important as well because I feel just from a general population perspective like the the mental side of it mental recovery is totally underappreciated or the importance of that because particularly if you're at work all day or if you're a full-time athlete you're training all day but then switching off can be really really challenging and for some people that is doing some exercise but you don't want to be particularly if you're at a certain point in your menstrual cycle where you might be prone to overthinking or overanalyzing or just not feeling as kind of sprightly as you might do at other times like I think it's so important to almost be kind to yourself or allow for that and appreciate oh that's why um and and maybe here's something I can do about it or actually that's just me today and I'm just gonna roll with it so I think yeah it's it's really challenging but again monitoring it and observing it is definitely the first point so obviously you've been working in quite a a male-dominated environment when you first came onto the scene perhaps and um how have you sort of, has this sort of changed the way you, um, you know, portray yourself, portray these like particular topics? 
And then how would you then perhaps advise other, you know, young budding sports scientists who want to sort of go into female specific um, sport, as it were? Yeah, I mean, again, I think, like, I don't know, maybe it's part of it is awareness. Maybe it's, I don't know, a little bit part ignorance from me. Um, maybe it's a little bit like your privilege in terms of like how you come through your role. I think, um, yeah, like I was always in, like, say the FA the first time, there was very few other females working in football. Um, you know, I even like back then I would deliver courses on the FA coaching licenses coaching courses and you know you'd walk in the room to a hundred plus male coaches and you'd see them look at each other and like then maybe one of them might snigger and say something and you're like right so you know I think from an early early age early time I had to build this kind of like self-confidence thing that you could walk in that room and like you know I don't even mind sharing like at the time I had a bit I had like irritable bowel syndrome going on oh that was it diagnosed with and you know I'd probably have to get to whatever talk I was doing a couple of hours early because you know I'd have an issue for like probably 30 minutes or so before I went in and you know you'd go in and you just have to go in and like be confident that you knew that you were resilient that you could deliver what you were doing um and you know I did and probably nine times out of ten in those courses like you'd start speaking and delivering and some of it was in the classroom then some of it was on the pitch um, kind of delivering the the practical bit and you know, like you then had people thanking you at the end and, you know, you could look at that both ways in that. Is that just like a bit um, sexist that they're coming up saying thank you? Like, would they do the same with a male? It was almost like, ah, oh, you do know your stuff, like well done kind of thing, which, you know, at the time, whatever, you're like, okay, great. Um, I think that's one element. I think then, you know, having worked with the US team and some of their equality fights, both from, a, you know, there's the, the public um, kind of equal pay uh, fight that's going on and you know I haven't seen and experienced kind of some of you know what they went through and some of what they fight for and I think just this last 12-14 months I think there's been a lot on equality generally of of gender of race um, uh, and things like that so you start reading more and picking up more and you know I guess then you look at females in sport and from a participation element I guess the Olympics last year was going to be the closest gender split where I think it was something like men still <laughs> were a bit higher at 50.8% male uh, participants. And I think it was 49.2% female or something like that. But then you start looking at how many male coaches, how many female coaches, and there's a gap. You look at how many female practitioners, how many male, there's a gap. You then look at the gaps in female sport. It's there. You look at male sport and it's there, if not non-existent for, for females in male sport. So I think you then start going, you know, yes, it's not right and it should be. But I'm also the mindset, like, if there are opportunities, are females seeking them out or are they of the mindset, actually, I'm not good enough, I can't go for that job. So I think there's like, a, I don't think it's an easy solution. Yeah. I do think, I do think trying to give more females opportunities or supporting them or mentoring them. Yeah. I was on a call recently uh, with a national association when they were talking about coaching courses and they said generally when it's face-to-face -face, they don't get many female coaches applying but actually in this COVID world where it's been online they've had more female coaches than they've had previously oh, wow. so is that which is quite interesting because yeah. is that where women are like actually to do something online is a bit less daunting than doing yeah. it face-to-face -face, especially in yeah. a male-dominated sport like football 
yeah but I think there's a few things that go into it and then yeah layers, I have, like layers yeah isn't it? like recently I've done a few podcasts and, it, and it's not to promote Dawn Scott it's to basically promote if there's a girl at school or whatever who aspires to be involved in sport but not as a participant there are other roles you can do and yeah to be in sport but also to be a leader or to be a manager in sport you know I think again there's less females in sport but you go up the leadership ladder and there's even less at the top thank you so much for coming on Dawn um it has been truly insightful to have you um and I think yeah we've learned so much and it's just great to hear how you have really um like embraced the area of women's health and and female physiology and in I guess um encompassed it into your everyday practice so um yeah thank you so much and um yeah good luck for the olympics this year and the uh europeans next year thank you so much and thank you guys for having me on it's uh yeah good to be on and yeah look forward to hearing more of your podcasts as they start coming out don't know about you guys I thought that was really interesting um obviously I guess I've worked with Dawn a fair bit for over the last few years but it's actually really interesting to hear about her experiences back in 2007 when someone first asked her about this um it really makes me think that it's it's been a long time coming really but it's cool to hear that way back then that people were um acknowledging it and also her route to realizing that this was an important area um is is also really interesting and from my perspective I love it when people come to us and say this is what's going on we need to manage it as opposed to us trying to say hey wake up to this so um yeah it was really interesting to get her insights there and I also really liked at the end how she was saying you know about the female coaches and that now it's been online the the more there's been more uptake um so perhaps you know there's a a space there which we should act positively on not us but you know just general governing bodies and we should provide the opportunities for women to establish themselves and you don't just have to be an athlete to be involved in sport you can be anything you know there's so many roles within sport so you don't have to be super elite to, to be part of it you can be you know any any end of the spectrum there I thought that was really good take home yeah 100% and, and just from from my side I thought it was very interesting how when she first went into that sports science role she said there wasn't necessarily like an agenda for what she had to record or or change or you know she she went in complete blank canvas and look what she's done to I think there was a member of the US women's soccer team that said she's the secret to everything like you know just the knowledge that she's developed and the education she's given to the players is is remarkable <laughs> So that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us as we open up the conversation around female physiology and women's health to do with sport and exercise. Thanks again to our title sponsors for this series, UMI Health. UMI is your go-to one-stop hub for all things pelvic health. Come join the revolution at umi-health.com.